0: most pointed prayer I think we've ever had. <laughs> you will raise up a female. Um, <laughs> how are you guys doing? I'm Pastor Anthony. You're at the New Day Vine campus like Shamrock said. And uh, let me just say one more thing about 320 and beyond is that a million, over a million dollars seems like a lot of money and then New Day Community Church gives almost $150,000 in less than three months. That's amazing. That's amazing. And then Paying this mortgage is really the first hurdle on the way to even better things. This is gonna free us up to do awesome stuff. Mm-hmm. So, 17th and 18th, pray about it. We're gonna conquer the mortgage. We're gonna burn it, and we will celebrate. We're gonna burn it. With what we celebrate here, who knows what we we'll celebrate with at New Day Lines? <laughs> bacon. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I will bring bacon, uh, and we will eat so much. We've been this for like two years. <laughs> <laughs> we <know>. are <You're> gonna, <laughs> gonna pay it, it off. Be off. Great. Three years. Hey, you know, food, food. <laughs> Who's here for the Easter where we have like six pounds of bacon? Oh <laughs> my so we're good. all sick on bacon. It's glorious. <laughs> well, that is the meat of the new covenant. Be Jesus. All right. Bacon? Bacon, absolutely, Jenny. I'll explain it to you later. Well, we are in a series called Journey to Easter, and we are examining different lessons that Jesus can teach us during his Passion Week on the way to the cross. And we're doing this as three congregations all at once. Every church is preaching the same message. And then we have a whole bunch of small groups that are meeting to discuss the same thing midweek. Ours is said, is Wednesday. Please come. It's awesome. And today's message is about yielding. Yield is the theme of this week. And I I thought it was fitting to have a worshiper kneeling as the, the symbol for yielding. Because that is a yielded posture. But I want to open up with a different kind of analogy to really bring it home. And that is the traffic analogy. <laughs> <laughs> did, anybody <laughs> read the, did anybody read the bulletin that, I, that is on your screen? I wrote something about yielding and traffic and how it works. And I just want to point out how important it is to yield. And we all know, everyone in this room knows how important yielding is every time you drive. Because when you drive and you stop at a red light, essentially, not only are you stopping and obeying the law, you are yielding to something greater than yourself. You get in the car with a plan, right? I want to get someplace, usually by a certain time, and if you're like me, you're usually running a few minutes late, so you want to get there quickly. <laughs> this light changes colors, and you stop. Isn't that weird? You you stop your plan, and you obey the direction of something else. That's yielding. I say, all right, my time is not as important as stopping at this light, or this stop sign, or this intersection. Why? Well, I instinctively know there's all kinds of good reasons that it's good for me to (coughs) yield. It avoids stuff like this. (laughs) I think this is actually the result of a flood, sadly, but I thought just everybody like crashed in an intersection was a wonderful image of what it looks like if we stopped yielding, if we all abandoned common sense when we drive. So I want to open it up by thinking of yielding as something we all know we should do because instinctively we know it's good for us. It's good for us to yield. This is going to be a heavier message. We're going to talk about some, some harder realities, but it's not going to be a joyless message. But I want to keep in mind what we mean when we talk about yielding. I don't often use Webster's Dictionary Definitions, because I actually think that's kind of cheesy, but Webster really helps us with this. When we think of yielding, we want to think of giving something up or rendering it as fitting, rightfully owed, or required. It was mine, but you deserve it. That's yielding. Definition three, to give up possession of on a claim or demand. Somebody says, that is rightfully mine, and you say, you're right. It is rightfully yours. It was mine, but it belongs to you. And it could mean to give up one's life and so die. It could mean to yield, surrender, or relinquish physical physical control to another, even of yourself or your property. And then lastly, it means to surrender or submit oneself to another, to yield. We're going to come back to this, but this is the image I want to have in our head of what it means to yield, to submit, to surrender is another way of thinking about this. And we're going to talk about it in light of Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. So we're going to read that scripture now. Matthew 26, 31 to 46 is the scripture. Jesus is with his disciples and he tells them, This very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, and if you didn't grow up in the church, by the way, it's, it's always Peter who has something to say. <laughs> Usually it doesn't work out so well for him, but uh, he was a good guy, and he really loved Jesus. So this is what he says. Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night, before the rooster crows, you, Peter, will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all of the other disciples said the same. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. Those were were his main dudes, his inner circle. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Now stop, wait, he took these three with him. So they're... They're pretty close to Jesus. They're right there. Jesus knows that the cross is coming, and he is in anguish. We're going to talk more about that later. And these two guys are supposed to be praying with Jesus, their rabbi, who they love, who they're willing to die for. He began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He needs his friends to be with him in this time. He's fully God, but he's fully man. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. And when he came back, he again found them sleeping, because their eyes were heavy. These guys were really tired. So he left them, and he went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come, and the Son of Man, that's Jesus, is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my, my betrayer. Matthew 26, 31 to 46. This story is a story of yielding. And we're going to talk about exactly what that means for Jesus and what that means for us. But we need to get some things out of our head first. Do not think about super spiritual Jesus doing this message. It's, meant to be a, a warning. It's not, it's not really supposed to be humorous. But this Jesus that's like radiant and light is flowing off him and he does, he's not really touched by the sorrows and the, and the hurts of the world. Get rid of it. It's not real. And we also don't want to talk about conquering Jesus. Don't think about Jesus in this way that he's the victorious warrior coming to wreak havoc in the end days. It's not the Jesus we're talking about here. We need to remember that this was a human guy who was in anguish in a real place in real time His knees might have been scraped up from kneeling down and praying. Maybe an ant crawled over his foot. This was really happening in real time. And he really needed his bros. And they really weren't there for him. And he was really upset. Real Jesus. Can we think of real Jesus for the rest of this message? Mm -hmm. Alright. So let's talk about yielding. The first thing we notice is that if we're going to yield. Well, let me just say, for Jesus. Let's just talk about him. Let's not even talk about us yet. There's cost, and there's pain in yielding. The scripture says, He began to be sorrowful and troubled, and he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. When we read the Bible, if we read into it super-spiritual conquering Jesus, the Jesus that's floating over the sand on every page of the Bible, we miss the fact that yielding costs Jesus something a lot, frequently. The Bible says earlier, when He was talking about the, the crucifixion in Luke 12:50, He says, "I have a baptism to be baptized with." He's talking about the crucifixion and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. This was looming over His head all the time. He was a human being, and not only that, but in the normal course of His ministry, Jesus got sad, angry, hungry, and thirsty. As a direct result of yielding to God. As a result, not just because, but because he did what God said, his soul was grieved. When he went to the tomb to raise Lazarus, not only is he sad, he's crying a few verses before, and then he's enraged at death, so he's running the gamut of emotions. He stops at the well and has to ask a Samaritan woman, well, he used the opportunity to show love to a Samaritan woman, is the better way to say it a drink. He's thirsty. He's parched. He gets hungry all the time. He's a man. And his life is such because he's yielded to God's will, not in spite of it. This is important. Jesus was likely poor, probably homeless. He was hounded by demanding crowds and pestered by bullies. He was constantly drawn into conflicts. He was friendless and misunderstood by family, and he knew the cross was waiting for him at the end of his life. Does that sound fun? No. No. Does this sound initially like the victorious Christian life? Does this sound like a, a way to get droves of people into your church? Maybe in a nice attraction series would be in order. It seems crazy. In many ways, Jesus' yielded life looks utterly and completely unattractive. Who would want to live this way? And the answer is, Jesus hopes his disciples will. Jesus makes it clear that we need to be ready to yield to his will, even if it costs us. And some of the things that he's very honest with us that it might cost us are friends, family, and suffering. Let's look at these scriptures. And this is Jesus being a realist. He didn't sugarcoat anything. Jesus was not trying to and switch anyone. I, I heard someone say that uh, whoever said... Religion is the opiate of the masses. Either doesn't understand religion or doesn't understand opiates. <laughs> there's, there's nothing calming here. This is utter realism. Let's read Luke 6:22 to 23. Jesus says, "Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil, because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven, for that is how their ancestors treated the prophets." Jesus says, if you want to follow me, co-workers, friends, they're going to exclude you. They're going to ostracize you because of me. Blessed are you in that day. But he's being honest. In America, we don't have rampant violence against Christians, but we do have this, don't we? Some people in this room may have experienced this in a very real and hurtful way. And Jesus says, you're yielding to my will. Actually rejoice. Your reward is great. He's honest. This could happen. Family. Matthew 10, 34 to 36. Jesus, by the way, in this message is not saying, in this passage, I really want this to happen. He's saying, because of me, this will happen. I'm bringing the good news, but I'm also bringing this dynamic. He says, do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be members of his own household. Why? Because Jesus really loves division, and he can't wait to get some division started? No, because he understands what's going to happen if you hold to the testimony of Jesus. If you yield to me, to my will, if you live life my way, this is, this is coming. And if it doesn't, thank God, but it might. And Jesus is not trying to trick you. He's telling you, this could cost you. Luke 21, 12-17 to 17 is a good summary of all of them. Jesus says they will seize you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues, those are basically the courts in the old days, and put you in prison. And you will be brought before kings and governors, and all on account of my name. So come on, follow me. It's going to be great. And so you will bear testimony to me, but make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves, for I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. Note here, he doesn't say, I'm going to give you wisdom to get out of it. He's going to give you wisdom they can't contradict. We see this in scripture, and it doesn't end well. They get so furious they can't contradict Stephen, they decide to kill him. You will be betrayed even by parents, brothers and sisters, relatives and friends. They will put some of you to death and everyone will hate you because of me. Everything could go south before it goes lost, Are you in? It's not a rhetorical question. Because if we're going to yield like Jesus yielded, not only do we have to acknowledge the cost and pain that it could entail, we also have to do it by choice. Are you in? Look at what Jesus says. Going a little farther, he followed his face to the ground and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. In other words, I really don't want to do this. Again, he's a human being. He crawls across his foot. He itches it. He feels that. His hair is matted. It's uncomfortable. This is a real dude. And then he says, yet not as I will, but as you will. Jesus is totally yielded to to the Father. And he chooses a yielded posture. You can see this in the the devil's temptation of Jesus. And Satan is like, hey, why don't you do this? And Jesus is like, no, I'm not going to do that. And here's the reason. Jesus isn't a robot. Stop thinking of super-spiritual Jesus or conquering Jesus or robot Jesus or so super-spiritual Jesus that he's not a real human being. He was fully God, man. It's a mystery, but he was fully man. As a man, he chose to be yielded. In John 8, we see a phenomenal outline of Jesus' relationship with his father. And these are just some excerpts I've pulled out, but I love the continuity here. Jesus is explaining to the religious leaders what his relationship is with the father. And he says this. I stand with the Father. I stand with the Father who sent me. What I have heard from Him, I tell the world. I do nothing on my own. I'm not seeking glory for myself. I know Him and obey His word. Now, those are ripped out of verses from verse 16 all the way to verse 55, but I would challenge you this week double check it again. Read John chapter 8 and look at the dynamic between Jesus and the Father. This is a person who is yielded by choice. No matter what. And not only did Jesus yield by choice. But he expects us to do the same. The same Jesus that said everybody could hate you said this in Luke 9.23 and Luke 14.27. I put them together because they go together. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself and take up their cross daily and follow me. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Does that mean that Jesus expects us all to be crucified? No. We talked last week about the the lifestyle and the mindset that carrying your cross entails. It entails a willingness to do whatever. It entails a willingness to suffer. That implies total submission. If you're carrying a cross, you don't have any rights to decide stop, go, left, right. You've given that over to Jesus by choice. And that doesn't sound like fun because everyone in this room is a human being. And if you read the scripture and you say, easy peasy, got it. No problem. Not intimidated by that at all. I'm just so mature, I can do that easy. Man, you're fibbing to me, because, I mean, I'm the guy up here preaching, and I read that, and I'm like, gosh. Am I I that way? Am I living that way? This drives me to seek God, to figure out if that's where my heart's really at. And that's the point. Because we want to say, Lord, I want to love you, but I want to love you another way. Can I love you and just not do this cross thing? But that's handled in 1 John 5.3. This is love for God. If you say you love God, this is what it's going to look like. You keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. A good gauge of your own love for God is, am I irritated by what God tells me to do? Or do I love God so much that it's an honor to do what he'd asked me to do? That's heavy. That's hard. This is not an easy message. There's not a lot of stand-up comedy this week. This is supposed to be sobering. It was a sobering moment for Jesus, and I want to allow a sobering moment for all of us. Let's take stock today. Where is your heart really at? Where is my heart really at in this? There is no other choice if you want to live a yielded life to Jesus. Again, we give our lives and we hand over our wills to him as something fitting, rightfully owed, or required. You deserve to decide my course, Jesus because of who you are and what you did. You give up possession or a claim of anything in your life to Jesus because he rightfully earned it on the cross. Yes, I will give up my life. Yes, I will surrender or relinquish physical control of myself, and I will submit. Here's the thing. Again, I just said all those eyes very confidently, but please don't think that this is any easier for me than it is for you. It's constant. The Apostle Paul said, I have to die daily. It's a constant choice. But everybody's going to submit. The Bible says every knee will bow and acknowledge Jesus as Lord. But there's two different ways to do that. You can do that willingly and love Him as your Lord or you can do it unwillingly, which is at best buffoonish. I found this, I wanted to find a resisting arrest, rest gift. And literally, it's one more funny, but I could not, various reasons I could not show any of them in church. (laughs) But Jim Morrison is the only musician ever to be arrested on stage at a performance. And this is him submitting to the police. Is there any honor in that face? Is there any dignity? That's, it's buffoonish, is it not? Mm-hmm. I mean, he was considered cool back in the day. That is not a cool moment for him. What's the difference between that and this? This is both a picture of yieldedness and submission. But there's dignity and honor in submitting willingly to Jesus. We don't want to be this. Let's choose to be this. Amen? Amen. 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 All right. So how in the world do we do that? Because it's not easy. And Jesus models the path to this kind of submitted life. It's prayer. That seems almost too simple, doesn't it? But look at this. Look at what Jesus says and look at the outcome. Follow it through in this passage in Matthew. He starts out sorrowful to death. He says, going a little farther away, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but what you will. But it doesn't stop there. The second time he prays, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. And it doesn't stop there. At the end, he goes to the disciples and says, the hour has come. And the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise. Here comes my my betrayer. Let us go. Do you see that? Did you see the change in Jesus that happened with prayer? I don't want to do this. I'm willing to do this. Let's do this. Over the space of an hour? I don't know how long. In prayer, talking to his father... This is the worst thing I can possibly think of, God. I don't want to do it. Or if there's no other way, I'm all in. And then he's rallying his troops, who he knows, by the way, are about to run away. And he's like, I'm going to do this. Get up, it's time. He doesn't wait to be apprehended. He goes and meets the people that are coming to take him to the place that a few moments before he didn't want to go to under any circumstances. How did he get ready? How did his heart change? It happened in prayer. And he commands us, to do the same. When he returned to the disciples and he found them sleeping, it's important to notice that Jesus had given them a direction. He said, Stay up, keep watch with me. But they did not yield their wills to Jesus, they yielded to sleep. Jesus knew that this was the kind of person that they were, and he knows this is the kind of people we tend to be. But the antidote is prayer. He tells them, Couldn't you, men, keep watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Prayer is the way to yield to God, the way God wants us to yield to him. In prayer, our hearts are changed, and we are given the strength to yield to God's will. And I actually was thinking about this. And I thought, you know, if Jesus had to pray earnestly to get his heart right, Jesus' heart right... In order to do God's will, how in the world are we going to do that if we don't pray? How are we going to yield if we don't pray? If Jesus had to, and so I hesitated to write this, but I'm going to write it, and I, I'm writing this to me as much to you that failure to pray is failure to yield. Amen. If you're not praying, really spending time in the presence of God, how are you going to live a yielded life? Impossible. Impossible. Nobody's that good. I'm not if you are you think you are let's talk afterwards maybe <laughs> you have something you can share with me but this is where I land failure to pray failure to pray is failure to yield if this seems hard this is the last thing I'm going to say in this sermon because if we're all honest who thinks this seems hard I think it seems hard maybe it seems simple but I think it sure seems hard if I tell you to go outside and lift up my car those are very simple directions but it's hard in fact, you might not be able to do it. If these things are, I want to say this. Even though Jesus lived a 100% yielded life, he also did exactly what he wanted to. He wouldn't have done anything else had he had the choice. Because guess what? He did have the choice. And he didn't do anything else. That is available to us. Look at this song written by King David. Now, King David almost folk hero status in in Israel. He was a man in their history. They love King David. And if you haven't grown up in the church, if you weren't forced to go multiple times a week like I was, all you need to know about King David is, he was a king. And he was a powerful one. There we go. That sets the scene for this psalm. King David wrote this poem. I long, yes, I faint with longing to enter the courts of the Lord. Pause. He's a king. He's got his own courts. His kingly courts. When people came into his courts, they were coming into his terms so that he could render a judgment and act as king on them. And here the king is writing a poem saying, you know what I really want? Man, I really want to go into the courts of another king. I really want to go into the courts of my God. Wouldn't that be awesome? So he's already sitting the stage. He's like, I'm ready to throw this king thing aside and just go and go before my God. He says, with my whole being, body and soul, I will shout joyfully to the living God. A single day in your courts is better than a thousand anywhere else. I would rather be a gatekeeper. This is the king talking. Mm-hmm. I'd rather be a lowly servant in the house of my God than live the good life in the homes of the wicked. Cool. And I would love to give you the scripture, but it's cut off. So. <laughs> it the king's like, I love God so much. I would just love him be a slave in his house, man. Oh, That would be so much better than being the king. Astounding. Astounding astounding. This same guy that wrote this song wrote this one. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Psalm 37, 4. Jesus was absolutely delighted in God the Father. He loved Him more than anything else in the world. He respected Him more than anything else in the world. Revered Him more than anything else in God the Father was number one to Jesus. It was a no brainer to him. What do I want to do most of all? Whatever he would have me do. He delighted himself in the Lord, and God gave him the desires of his heart. Because the desires of his heart were to do the desires of God's heart. Jesus was willing to yield. No matter what it cost, by choice, through prayer, out of love for his father. And if you let him, he will give that same heart to you. Mm, it. it might not be easy, but it's possible. And it's awesome. Thank you, guys. Christian. <laughs>